Hyperno Goethe, German-Irish Conversations. Join me, St. Pauli fan and former Dusseldorfer Kieran Murray, in conversation with my guests as we explore the connecting moments of German and Irish life. We delve into the many aspects of arts, language and life across cultures. What do musicians, dancers, artists and writers pick up from both cultures? And how are they inspired and enriched by the other? Hyperno Goethe. German-Irish Conversations is for all listeners who like to go and think beyond borders. This podcast is supported by the Goethe Institute Dublin. Willkommen an Falsche Rove. And in this episode, I'm joined by father and son Helmut and Killian Sunderman. Helmut, long-standing German teacher and assistant principal at St. Killian's Deutsche Schule and Killian comedian. So, lads, yeah, it's great to have a father and son in. It's great to be in. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, do you two get along well normally? I'd say so, yeah. Pretty well, right? Yes. I think overall we, <laughs> we, we uh, have a good relationship. Well, you sound yeah. a bit reserved there, as if you're hiding something. I think you get well, on No, I'm not hiding there. anything, no. You know no, after 40 should. or 50 minutes. Yeah. No. Am I in trouble or something? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think certainly not at this stage. I think Gillian probably complained a little bit about me, which is probably true. Killian always had a huge, large circle of friends when he was in school. And uh, sometimes when Killian came round the corner and there was a track of people following and when they all arrived in my kitchen, sometimes I may not have been as inviting as I should have been. And <laughs> I, I, re- I regret that deeply at this stage. Uh, uh, but overall, we share a lot of interest and we have a lot of discussions at home. Music, I think. I mentioned it before, Killian and me, we both love music. We listen to a lot of music. We share that quite a lot and Mm -hmm. um, other topical issues that come up during the day. Mm. Okay, let me jump in a bit, Helmut. Um, You're a teacher in St. Killian's. So tell me a bit about the school. Many people think of it as the German school, but it's a bit more than that, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think the school has always had to fight a little bit with the name that it got, the German school. It is a very appropriate name, but it is misunderstood by many in so far that they think it is only a school for people who have a German-speaking background or who want to follow a, a German education and do German qualifications, and that's not the case. It was actually founded by people in Ireland who had a very strong German connection and wanted to ensure that the children that were growing up in Ireland now could stay in contact with the language and uh, learn more or, or keep in touch with their own culture, the German culture. And it's closely related to the initiative by the Irish Red Cross after the war, uh, which was called Aktion Shamrock. So Aktion Shamrock, it's almost kind of humanitarian effort. Would you go so far as to say it was a school that was welcoming for German refugees after the Second World War? Yeah, uh, certainly. I think Aktion Shamrock can be described as a humanitarian effort. Originally, the idea came from a group of Irish people with strong German connections and also uh, a positive attitude to Germany, which was called Save the German Children. But eventually it was taken on by the Irish Red Cross because I don't think the British government wanted to support it just by allowing this Save the German Society to promote it. So when it was taken on by the Irish Red Cross, it took off and uh, the majority of people were Irish people who generally had a humanitarian interest, who, who were willing to help people in bombed out areas of Germany, mainly in the west of Germany. Germany, along the Ruhr, uh, Aachen, Cologne, in these areas that were heavily hit by destruction after the war. And then German children came over. And it has a link to us. The school was kind of founded really for those children. They stayed where they were meant to stay for three years. But uh, you know what children are like. 
At first they couldn't speak the language at all, but then they quickly learned English and then they forgot their German. And then I think some people thought we need to keep them in touch with their own language. And that's how I think that was a bit of the origin of the school. And then for yourself personally, was it always your dream to come and live in Ireland or was it just a just an accident that you happened to end up here? <laughs> yeah, um, Killian's mum is Irish, but uh, again from a German-Irish background because her mum was German and we met in Germany. And then it was not planned, no. We met in Germany. We got married in Germany. I had qualified as a teacher. Uh, Fiona was expecting in the 1980s with certain subject combinations. It was very, very hard to get into a full teaching job. And uh, I had always had very strong connections to England, uh, to the UK. I'd spent a year in Wales as a student um, with the German Academic Exchange Service. And I had strong connections to London as well. My brother had lived in London in the 1970s and had many contacts. For that reason, then, when I met uh, one of my colleagues who had been a student with me during the time in Wales, who was in a similar situation, he was at the University in Oldenburg, and he told me that there was a project going between that university and the University of Surrey. And then I said, yeah, let's let's try and see. Uh, you know, I was adventurous with Fiona, I was adventurous too, and we went on to it, and then we were, became teachers in London for a year. And is Fiona an Irish name, or can it be a German name as well? I'm, I'm I, uh, sure. uh, it's quite popular in, in Germany, I think, as well. It's in lots of textbooks, <laughs> funnily <laughs> enough. I remember in some of the uh, English teaching textbooks when I was teaching, Fiona was always a, a name, and sometimes these names like Fiona and Kevin then were taken on as first names in Germany. I think Kevin became very popular. Mm. And uh, Fiona as well. Fiona. Yeah, Fiona. Fiona. <laughs> they always have their so, own. It's, like the, it's the same name, but it's just said in a way, like Kilian, yeah. Fiona, like that. Uh, <laughs> but I have to say we chose the num- names in such a way that there was a kind of German-Irish connection, but that the Germans could also pronounce them correctly. Uh, the, uh, because if I take Rekfa or something like that, it would have been really hard. Okay, or Quiver yeah. for a girl. Oh, of course, uh, for, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I thought yeah. maybe we take a name that has a German-Irish connection, but... Maybe Soracha would go well, because Soracha's got yeah. the real yeah, trophy sound. You've got to get that. Good idea. If they have another one, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So when you were in Cologne and you'd finished your studies and you were getting married, you didn't sit down and say, it's our dream always to go to Sandy Cove. That's if only we could live in Sandy Cove, that would be... <laughs> No. Uh, as I said, we, we yeah. lived in London and that oh. was very exciting and interesting. And uh, I spent one year as a language assistant at the University of London, Queen Mary and Westfield College, which was really interesting. I met some really interesting people there, but I might distract too much. Uh, um, was that a kind of, a, I'm just trying to think of London at that era. Was there a whole kind of gritty anti-Thatcher feeling? Did the London you know of that time? Um, it was John Major. Oh, it was John Major? Yeah, then. Uh, Thatcher, yeah. it was not there anymore. It was John Major. Okay. And it was not gritty. I felt uh, Killian was born in Reading as well. We were very happy in England. We felt that the people were very welcoming. They were very supportive. Wherever we moved, I think the neighbours came over and they introduced themselves and they said, you know, is there anything we can do for you or to assist? So uh, later on, we lived in Reading. There were strong Irish connections. I met so many people who in my road who were, had Irish connections in Reading and my head of department was married to a man from Belfast and it was your Christy Moore gig that finally made you decide we would have to move to Ireland <laughs> was it? I, I don't know if it was the Christy Moore gig but I was first introduced to Christy Moore then yeah it was a, a, a colleague as I said who had an Irish partner from Belfast and they all said you we, we need to go that and there were loads of colleagues from the school where I was teaching who said yes we have to go to the Christy Moore gig and I went to it but very impressive was an Irish teacher in the Sheen School in Richmond, 
uh, that I used to go. He was called John Swiddenberg, and he was a Belfast man. And he was such an interesting man. He lived in Hastings on the coast, which, as you know, is, is all the way down the south. And he came up, he commuted to London with all the commuters who worked in the city of London during the day. And then he changed train. He came on the tube to Richmond and taught in the school. And he was the maths teacher. And uh, he had a very strong Belfast accent. And I never forget how he told me he had a, uh, about his wife, who was from the south of England. And he told me that once he took her to Belfast, And when they got off the gangway from the plane into Belfast, he said, now, Jillian, who's got the accent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that, that's my theory on why they moved back uh, to Ireland, was that I think <laughs> my mum heard us talking back to her in English accents. And I think that yeah. must have freaked her out a bit when we were like, Mummy, yeah. okay. Wait, we, can we go to the park, Mummy? Because yeah, yeah. like, we see videos of us when we were kids and... We've all got these big English accents. And, and then I guess we, I don't know, I kind of think that's maybe why she started moving back. She got a bit freaked out. Yeah. And then she said that when we came back to Ireland, my brother Niels went into primary school and he went into, I don't know, junior infants or something like that. And he walked in with an English accent and came home that day yeah. talking like he was from Dublin. So it was like, a, yeah. it was like a, a, that's how quickly he changed it. <laughs> and that's true. for you, Killian, then... How, how old were you when you left? Uh, I was three. I was three when okay, I so left. So I'm, I don't really remember that much. Your sense of being Irish and of that German heritage, is that something that's made you a keen observer of the differences? Yeah, definitely. I think when you grow up with a certain background in your house, where your, your home is very... I mean, it changes when you get to a certain age. When you're a kid, you're very formed by your home environment. That's kind of where you spend most of your time. And you're usually with your parents. You're usually interacting with them and that was all kind of a German culture a German knowingness and everything that I did was through that kind of prism but then when you get a bit older and you're spending more time on your own and you're doing your own things you start you know engaging more in what other people do and the more kind of like homogenous Irish kind of thing that you do but you can't help but compare that with your own experience before and you start noticing oh they do that this way but that's that's weird because we do that that way and then you know by doing that you start to notice more things and I think even you know, when you move abroad, people would often notice that. Like when, when I know most Irish people have lived abroad at some point, that's something that you do. You sit in the pub and you talk about, oh, isn't it weird the way Americans don't get sarcasm or, oh, isn't it weird? And that's something that I've always noticed. And uh, it's definitely something I use in my sketches anyway. <laughs> people are like this, aren't they? You know, that kind of stuff. When it comes to your sketches then, if I may just jump into the cake one. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with the cake one, and it couldn't be that many, but just give us <laughs> just give us a quick sense of what the cake one is about. Well, it's based off a real interaction that happened to my poor mother, who was at a, I think it was at a wedding or something like that, and someone came along and offered her this delicious cake. It was beautiful looking, and she was just like, you know, looking at it, travelling towards her across the room, and was like, oh my god, I can't wait to have a slice of this. And she was offered it and she did the typical, they were like, do you want some cake, kuchen? And uh, she did the classic Irish, oh no, I can't possibly have a slice of that cake. Just like licking her lips and uh, and saying yes with her eyes. You know, the way we do it with our eyes, we say yes, but said, oh no. And then the German went, okay, and just turned around and walked off. And she just watched it go away from her. And it was, you know, it was a traumatic experience. So I made a sketch around an Irish person offering an Irish person cake, a German person offering a German person cake, and then I mixed them. So there was a German person offering an Irish person cake, and then 
uh, an Irish person offering a German person cake and just seeing how those different things interacted. It makes for something very amusing, but is it, is it also a kind of psychological disorder for you that you have to beat both of those people? Is that <laughs> <laughs> I think most of the time I, I have an Irish mindset. I think I, I kind of, growing up in the country, you kind of adopt that one. Maybe sometimes, you know, when, when, when you see like a, a queue that's not very well organised or you're, you're standing in like one queue and another one opens up and the person from the end of the queue goes to the start of that queue and you go, what's going on here? This is outrageous. I, I sometimes go, oh, that must be my German part of my brain going because in Ireland we just kind of do it and you know mm. that person's lucky good good day for them or whatever when you were growing up were you conscious that um if you brought school friends home or something were they aware that your dad would speak to you in German was that kind of a shock for your friends um not really they all he's very popular amongst my friends I know you said something <laughs> earlier about but he's actually quite a popular man he always has been because I don't know he's this big German man um <laughs> I guess like People were always like like that when they hear a different language and and, you know, often, you know, when there's other people in the house and you, you want to communicate something to your parents or usually when you're in trouble and you maybe like, you know, my mum will want me to, you know, stop, you know, with my elbows on the table. That's something that she'll say in German. Uh, because, you know, no one else around can understand that. Or even now we're in well, I know you speak German as well, but if um, if if Papa wants me to kinda like you know, stop speaking so much. He'd go, Kilian, listen, Liza, or something like he would say it in German to communicate something because it's our secret language that we can communicate to each other. Did you go for Papa instead of Fatty? Yeah, we went Papa. I don't know. Why, I don't know <laughs> when the decision was made. I, we, I never used it with my parents. My father was always Fata. Yeah. Fata, okay, yeah. 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 I always like Fatty and Mutti. I always yeah. found them really yeah. cozy or something. Yeah, yeah. we never said Mutti. I don't know oh, why. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I definitely remember the TV programs and stuff. It was always like, yeah, it was fatty and muddy, but I don't know why you say Papa. Yeah. I, I hear people in Ireland say Papa as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 I always kind of think it's kind of French or something. Or, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Did you go for Oma and Opa? Did they, yeah, they, very much. Yeah. 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 Like uh, our Irish grandparents were also Oma and Opa. I didn't have any granny or granddads. Okay. They were all Oma, Opa. Yeah. yeah. And then it was Oma, Ireland, Oma, Germany. That was how we did it. Oh, that, that, that's how they fit yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> did you know your grandparents? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. knew them all very well. Yeah. Uh, maybe my... Uh, dad's dad, Carl Heinz. I didn't know him so well. He died when I was kind of young. But um, I mean, I know him very well through talking to my dad and everything like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it was only one Irish grandparent I have. So my opa, my yeah. Irish opa, Opa Ireland. <laughs> He's the only Irish one I have. Yeah. Do you think then, did your sets of grandparents fit the stereotypes of how you would have seen the more German side and the more Irish side? Not really. I only found out that my Irish granny was German until I was like, maybe like, 12 or something like that like I always thought she was Irish I was in my head she was always just this old Irish lady and uh, I mean she came to Ireland in 1950 or something like maybe 1949 and she would say things like oh give me the Ireland of the 50s any day so she would say a lot of things like that and she definitely kept her German sense of identity but she was very like I mean I don't know the only way she'd stand out I think would be her she looked very olive skinned and everything like that Okay. So, what was her name? Johanna Johanna uh, Hutz originally so Johanna Hutz so Helmut tell me the Johanna Hutz story what brought her here Johanna as I said I think before we started the interview was married to Neil who was a GP but because Neil did not speak German the language of communication at home was English and uh, she was from the Lake of Constance from the Bodensee and had a lovely Alemannische Mm -hmm. uh, accent and she stuck to the English even with me 
which is interesting because our house was built at the end of the garden. So there was a lot of communication between our family and my mother-in-law and father-in-law. But uh, she stuck to the English mainly because she was aware that I was from North Germany. Okay. <laughs> and I think she had kind of a, an awareness about maybe, you know, that accents in the north of Germany are not so acceptable, maybe particularly if they're southern or southwestern. So she rarely spoke in, in German to me, but we mm. sometimes did. Uh, she spoke lovely German when her sisters came to visit. Her, is it, is it Swabish? Is that what? Yeah, she was Alemannisch really. I yeah. think she was from the lake. She was born in Freiburg. Okay. And then grew up really very close to the Swiss yeah. border on the Lake of Constance. So would the, would the Rhinelanders have, have frowned upon this um, these strange dialects? No. <laughs> I, uh, it was in a way quite amusing for me because I wouldn't have at all. I loved I loved her to listen to her mm. uh, speaking in German. I think a little bit of prejudice against different accents in Germany. You do hear people in the sort of north give out about the, the Schwäbisch accent. I hear, I've heard it before in some like Jugendbergers and stuff like that talking about, oh, this is, it's such not a nice version of German. So I definitely think that that probably comes from somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. 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 I think it was uh, probably also a little bit related to in the area. I think there were uh, refugees from maybe the industrial areas of the north mm-hmm. uh, who were brought down to the south, maybe to the villages where Johanna lived. And she said once, I think, that when they were living together, before they had said the prayer for dinner or something like that, or guten appetit, that the North Germans had already finished most of the food. <laughs> so I think uh, I think there was this a, a little bit of a feeling that they were more clued in because they were city people and stuff like that. And my yeah. uh, 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 Johanna came from, uh, well, but the story the of her, yeah. uh, the story of her coming to Ireland is quite interesting because, um, I mean, there's lots of different versions, you know, the way it is with family stories. But apparently she was jumping over a ditch when she was a little girl and uh, and she like broke her leg or something like that. And she was in the hospital bed and the person next to her in the hospital bed was an Irish person uh, who was over there. I think that's generally the story. And I think they swapped addresses and decided to be pen pals or the person was someone's auntie and they had a niece or something like that. And then I think when she was trying to get out of Germany in the sort of post-war times, I don't think she was having a very good time. And it was very difficult, obviously. And I think she just sent letters out to wherever she could to try to get, you know, somewhere. And I think yeah. this yeah. Irish person... The, the Ireland of the 1950s is not usually a place that you think of people coming to. Mm. You think of people escaping from. Yeah. So the notion that someone said, <laughs> I know. that's where was, I'll go. Yeah. It's interesting, though, uh, in the context of Aktion Shamrock, and in the context of Heinrich Böll, that it was not touched by war. Uh, and uh, that was, I, I think, something special for people in Germany. Uh, in that sense, it was a bit of a paradise. Uh, maybe it was poor, but there were the basics were there, like people appreciate the lovely bread that they get, the butter, uh, the milk, uh, and that it was not destroyed. Uh, and uh, the children who arrived here with Axon Chamlock, they make, give exactly these descriptions as well that they, you know, that, that, that impressed them that there was, you know, they'd come from places that were bombed out, that were uh, really depressing uh, ruins, uh, uh, hunger, food, and they came to an area which was kind of intact, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, sense. I suppose you'd forget that mm-hmm. Ireland, even though there was rationing, probably mm-hmm. had plenty of butter. Exactly, and, certainly. Yeah, yes. maybe, uh, maybe <laughs> comparison to bombed out parts yeah. of the Ruhrgebiet or something. Yeah. I remember Dylan Moran made the funny joke where he said we called it the emergency, which makes it sound, World War II sound like someone is in the bathroom with no toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an emergency. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I've said before on this on this podcast, it's almost embarrassing how pro-German my grandparents were. Uh, they weren't really pro-German; they were just anti-English. Yeah, yeah. So it just yeah. made them pro-German. Yeah. That, that was, that was that some was, of the stories. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something there; it just caught my attention. German accents and dialects. Are there some that are more popular than others, and are there? ones that you'd say oh that's oh that's lovely that sounding that Franconian or that or Frankish or or oh I love those from people from Mecklenburg for problem with their lovely rolling or is it is there, is there such a thing as that is there I quite like the Bavarian accent I have to say if it's spoken nicely I think it has there's a certain homeliness uh, that I associate with it you know and a certain friendliness the same with the southwestern accent Alemannisch I think it's it's beautiful Swabian yeah it's a little bit different sometimes the vowels or something like that are a little bit uh, take a little bit of getting used to Sächsisch is very hard to understand sometimes and there are jokes about it I think one of the big things for me I appreciate very much the fact that Germany has so many regions and different characters and different medium-sized towns, which are all really, really interesting with their own tradition and, and culture. And uh, I think that's something uh, like from from actually having left Germany uh, that I really uh, identify with now. And this has happened also through my work as a teacher. We've got connections to Hamburg. Uh, and I've been to Hamburg. It's a city that I really only got to know through going there with students regularly. We go to Würzburg. So I've got to know Franconia, which is a really interesting area. Cities like Würzburg and, and, and Nuremberg. And I always knew Munich. I went to Munich on my last trip before I did my Abitur, when lots of my classmates went to, I don't know, Prague or to Rome. And I, I went to Munich. I very much appreciate it and I loved it. I have a very strong connection. My children slag me. And they think that I'm anti-Berlin. <laughs> because over the last over the last ten years, Berlin has been like. Uh, uh, whenever I meet somebody and say, you, you know, what about Germany? They all say, I'm, I'm in Berlin, I'm going to Berlin. And it's not that I find Berlin, and really, I think it's a hugely interesting and exciting place, but I always think there's so many other interesting oh, yeah. areas. It's kind of a world city in Berlin, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's slightly it's, losing its Germanness. It's, yeah, it's, it's, become, a, it's, yeah, it's yeah, very similar to how yeah. uh, everyone outside of Dublin thinks of Dublin and Ireland. It's that kind of, that, like my dad would think about, Berlin in the same way someone from Cork would think about Dublin. Mm. They oh, mm. it's not all that, you know. And it's so, you know, my little brother Finn is moving to Berlin, which is very far away from where any of us are from. You know, mm. we don't really have much relation with the East. No one really lives there. But like my dad, like Finn's going to Berlin. He's, he's you know, he's 18 years old. He's obviously going to go to Berlin. But my dad's like, oh, why aren't you going to Baden-Kirchen or Gelsenkirchen? Or, you know, there's a really good uh, Cray, church Cray, there. Yeah. Cray, Crayfeld is lovely like, this time. Lots here. of old folks' homes. We were talking a bit about your grandparents, your, your parents. Uh, you have a poem that you found that your dad, maybe, yeah. maybe you'd read us a poem. Have you got it handy? Yeah. Um, my father was an architect and a planner. Um, he'd studied architecture in Aachen and then uh, joined regional governments and uh, was involved in, in very much planning the rebuilding of some of the German cities that had been destroyed and then later on also in charge of Denkmalpflege, which is heritage and, and planning. He, he read, but he didn't. He was not so big into poetry and things like that as uh, maybe some of the other members of the family, but it was quite uh, moving when uh, after he passed, we went through his uh, papers and then we found this poem by Erich Fried in a drawer in his desk. Uh, and he, he sometimes cut things out of the newspapers. He was a good, he always loved to read his newspapers, so he cut that out. Yeah, and I just thought I, I can read it out, yeah. Erich Fried, by the way, would have been 100 uh, on the 6th of May. He, he recently kind of uh, was, uh, people 
uh, reflecting on him again because it had been his 100th anniversary. Uh, so it's called Inschrift by Erich Fried. Sag, in was schneide ich deinen Namen? In den Himmel? Der ist zu hoch. In die Wolken? Die sind zu flüchtig. In den Baum, der gefällt und verbrannt wird? Ins Wasser, das alles fortschwemmt? In die Erde, die man zertritt und in der nur die Toten liegen? Sag, in was schneide ich deinen Namen? In mich und in mich und immer tiefer in mich. That's quite a beautiful poem for uh, mm. listeners who may not understand that in German. It's where will I write my name and he, or where will I write your name and eventually he writes it in himself. Mm. Do you think was he was he a very romantic man, your father, just for finding that mm. in his in his? <laughs> um, outwardly, you wouldn't have uh, really associated him with uh, romanticism. Although I think as a young person he he uh, played the piano. And I think he was very good at it. And he used to sing leader, you know, German leader, to uh, and accompanied himself. Well, what what kind of leader? What like traditional? I think Beethoven, Adelaide, or something, or okay. maybe Schubert leader and things like that. Did, so it would it wouldn't have been yeah. folk songs. Did, did that pass down to the generations? And it is strange. I think my 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 brother Werner, who's uh, six years older than me, I think uh, it was very sad that he after the war. There was no piano in the house, and he did not continue playing. He, you know, he loved music, and we listened to music at home, and we had records, and uh, I would have been introduced to classical music through him. But he did not play, and he did not really push us to learn an instrument. I think my brother Werner would have loved to have learned the piano, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. With me, it was different because we moved to a place where there was a music academy, and then my older brother brought a double bass home, and he left for England, as I mentioned, and then my mother pushed me to learn that instrument, and that became quite important for me in many. Respects, Killian. That kind of cultural tradition, uh, that leader tradition. Mm. I mean, Irish people probably don't often think of Germans as singers. Mm. Uh, is that something that you think has been passed on to you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the yeah. The, the the musical bone I think comes from my dad's side of the family, probably. Uh, Oma. Oma. Oh yeah, yeah. No, maybe both sides actually. Sorry, mm. don't want to get in trouble here. No, but uh, we 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 all play instruments except maybe my sister Carla. But all all of us play instruments we're all in cultists and play Irish music uh, Finn plays like the Ellen Pipes I play guitar I'm in a rock band um, but we also play a lot of folk Niels plays wonderful guitar and my mum plays a fiddle and tin whistle and yeah that got passed on and I think Germany is the place to go to if you're an Irish musician and you play Irish music it's very appreciated there Irish singing and everything like that and I think they really like that sort of folky kind of uh, traditional type of music. I don't think Irish people listen to German folk very much and I don't either. <laughs> would, would you be able to sing a German folk song? I don't know any German folk songs. I do know maybe um, uh, I used to know uh, the the Dubliners did a cover of uh, Die Moorsoldaten which is uh, a song I think it was found in one of the work camps. Uh, yes. It was in the uh, north of Germany in the bogs where the mm. inmates had to work in the bogs and every day they had to go off with their shovels. Yeah, yeah, and they and the, and the Dubliners did a, a cover yeah. of that was well received called the Peat Bog Soldiers, and there's one I don't know any I just know the the chorus which is Wir sind die Moorsoldaten, 
ziehen mit dem Spaten ins Moor. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. That, I know the I know the Luke, song. Yeah. 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 I know yeah. the Luke Kelly version Luke better. Kelly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I would I would have Dubner sang that in German. No, they didn't. They oh, sang yeah. it. In, they they translated oh. it very well as well, mm. like uh, yeah. accurately. Because I remember I learned it when I was younger, but yeah. I've forgotten all the lyrics. But I remember looking at the comparison, and they did it very faithfully. The moor is that mostly in the far north west? Yeah, that's the where north, the moor. Yeah, yeah the okay. north west. Yeah. What's the name of the Dubliners version? It's called the Peat Bog Soldiers. Okay, it's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We are we're, the Peat Bog Soldiers. We'll list it in our recommendation, and yeah, and, and we can definitely. Find yeah, but yeah. I would like to say that one reason why I really got on so well with Fiona's uh, mother, my mother-in-law, Jana, was because we both had that connection about with music as well, and I had stopped playing my instrument for many years, and Johanna played in an amateur orchestra here until the very end uh, at the Dublin Orchestra Players and she was the one who encouraged me to start the instrument back again and I've benefited so much from that and we used to love listening to music. Oma always had music playing uh, and it was always classical music in her house and uh, uh, we had a shared interest in that. So uh, I think the music came definitely from both sides of the... the he uh, still plays with the D. DOP, yeah. Is there yeah. a concert coming up we could plug? Is that possible? No, <laughs> it has been due to COVID. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah it's not happening. We uh, had a, a rehearsal on the 7th of March 2020 and then COVID came and then we went back. But now due to COVID, we're stopping again. Do you think that there's a quite a strong appreciation of music, but in very different ways in the German culture and in Irish culture? Definitely. I think music here, from what I hear, it, it, in the, it's more outside the schools, I think, that the children uh, are introduced to music, particularly through the families and the traditional music. I, uh, Fiona um, uh, loves the fiddle uh, music and she loves the gloaming and uh, Martin, uh, is it O'Connor? Martin uh, Hayes. Martin, Martin Hayes, Hayes, sorry, I'm getting confused. <laughs> Sometimes my name memory lets me down a little bit. But I actually read his book recently. Martin Hayes came out with a book and I really learned so much about how that is something that is traditional music. It comes from the family and is practiced in the family. You, you know, it's passed on from a father to son or from a, a, a mother to daughter. People get around in, in Germany. Uh, with classical music, yeah, it's, it's it's very often you learn it in the schools, you get a teacher, there would be orchestras uh, that you then join, youth orchestras, local orchestras, there are uh, competitions as well. And so it's maybe yeah. a, a slightly more formal. Kilian, when, when you're in Kiltis, Kiltori, and you're learning to play, um, do you think it's far less formal? And is there a sense that a German would have to be extremely good at their instrument before they would play publicly but mm. the Irish person if you could just bash out a few chords on a guitar you might tend to just have a go and get away with it. Is that if, yeah, if you know like maybe 10 to 15% of the notes you can kind of get away with it. <laughs> I don't think we realise how special it is what we have over here. I don't know what the per capita amount of people that play instruments here is but it's insane, you know. It's the, insane the amount, the sheer amount of people who can, you know, do a few things on, on a tin whistle or whatever is, okay. is pretty special and yeah, I mean, um, the idea of standing up and singing a song, which is obviously something we're stereotyped as doing, but it is something that people are quite, uh, you know, familiar with doing. And it is quite nice. I even, I mean, Garth Brooks did his interview there and I, I you know, he might have been putting it on because he's trying to sell a lot of tickets. But even he said, you know, it's amazing the way um, the average Irish person can sing back to you and very, you know, good pitch and everything like that. So we, we're quite 
musically gifted and I don't think we realise that. Or I do remember uh, a German saying to me that um, the Irish people are amazing even the people who can't sing sing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, you wouldn't get a German who couldn't sing singing. Is that fair? C- certainly we sometimes make jokes about the singing in the stadium uh, because the, I think the stadium songs in the Irish are so much more elaborate and musical mm-hmm. while what do we do when for the drums to go? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, holy, yeah. holy! Oh, at the football it's, matches, the football I think. Man. Yeah, like we, we sing obviously, like <laughs> our you know our fields of Athenry. Yes. Like, lonely prison wall. <laughs> but the Germans do a, a very simple little T T. But it's just all those clubs with all those huge followings. Borussia Dortmund, all mm. this passion and stuff. They don't have a song. They you don't think they'd get a yeah. four-part harmony going, but no. Yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bach would be turning. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe yeah. using that football. Let me bring us on to something else again. When it comes to kind of nationalism, how is it that there seems to be a, the darker side of nationalism seems to be more prominent in Germany and less so in Ireland? I know that's quite a generality, but mm. if you go with me. Yeah, I don't know. In Ireland, it just seems to be patriotism. And in Germany, it seems to be anything that's associated. I mean, maybe not now, but historically, anything that's associated with loving your country or thinking your country's great is obviously very associated with Germany's history. I don't know. Maybe Papa can speak more on that. No, that's exactly. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Is this correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's exactly it. It was destroyed. A kind of you could not have an easy relationship to your own country and your own tradition. And I think for many Germans, Ireland was an outlet for that because I think German and Irish people share similar loves for things. They love music. They love company. They love uh, nature. There's a strong love for nature and things like that. And uh, the way it was expressed in Germany uh, was kind of uh, always associated, as uh, Killian said, with uh, you know Nazi history where it, uh, it was exploited in a very bad manner. And uh, uh, therefore, I think this kind of romanticism uh, was looking for an outlet and maybe some people f- could kind of see it more in the folk traditions in Ireland uh, uh, and maybe even of other countries abroad. Is it the same German flag as before the Second World War and after? Cause the, the Weimar Republic had the same flag. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, I don't know if there was a different insignium, I think in there it, was, but it was definitely the yeah. same colours. Yeah. Yeah. Same colours, but I think there was like some sort of eagle or something in the middle of it, in a it's, circle, yeah. I think. And then flags, because they're such a... I don't know, such a strange thing, really, a kind of a a 19th century invention in some Mm. ways. But um, when you travel to some countries who are really flag wavers (laughs) outside every house, I mean, you said you were in the States recently. Yeah. They they put their flags all over the place, don't they? It's kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah, and then, like, you know, you put up your flag or your, you know, Black Lives Matter thing and then the neighbour gets angry at that and then, you know, they put up their uh, flag outside. Or people, you know, I mean, I've heard Americans say, if you don't have your flag outside your house, you're not a patriot, you're not an American which is obviously this, you know, crazy form of, mm-hmm. of, of you know, national identity and kind of these rules to be a citizen or to be viewed as an American or to be viewed as a German. Having these rules, that's when things get very iffy. I don't think Irish people have ever, because we've never been a top dog, I suppose, internationally, we've never really had those problems. <laughs> and tell me about the German flag kind of reappearing with football. Mm-hmm. The, the different World Cups, uh, Helmut, the, the, 70 war, the 74 World Cup probably didn't see a huge amount of flag waving, did it? It, was, it didn't. If I could just m- mention briefly, our daughter Carla lives in Sweden and they have uh, a lot of flagpoles as well okay. and they put their flags up. But you would never feel that it is in any way kind of strongly nationalistic. 
It's just maybe just uh, the colors of our country or something like that, or associated with your own traditions. So it's easygoing and relaxed. Uh, yeah, and in Germany, that was for a long time, I think, as I said, we didn't really, we had the flags as well. You would have seen flags at football matches. But uh, I don't think face colors and wrapping yourself in wearing funny hats in the German flag colors and stuff like that came on until, as I think I mentioned it to you before, I think the first time I became really aware of it was probably in 2002 uh, when Germany played Brazil in the final And then uh, Killian, myself, and his brothers, uh, we traveled to Germany in 2006. Uh, I think in 2006, I think there was a feeling that this was okay. There was public viewing and people enjoyed the matches. And Germany played a different style of football, I think, as well. Uh, there was a great change then in the 2000s, I think. Well, when you say to Irish people, Germany appearing in a final, or that's nearly all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we don't want to brag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fiona and myself, we left Germany in 1990, and Germany had won the World Cup, and that was not one of the World Cups that I kind of strongly identify with. Germany but, won, but I did yeah. wasn't a, a final that inspired me. Wasn't and that, the, that was the Vita Vereinigung. That was the, yeah, that exactly. was the United Germany yeah, final. Yeah. So that must have been special yeah. in some ways. It, it was, yeah. But I remember I was I was in Cologne and I saw some of the fans and they were marching across and I heard them shouting Sieg, Sieg and that didn't go down well with yeah. me. I just felt that's odd and I didn't yeah. and I, it, it, it irritated me. But uh, Now I think, yeah, I think it's good that Germany has kind of developed a more relaxed uh, attitude. And I suppose the German this. national yeah. team yeah. is going to have players of Turkish origin or Nigerian exactly. origin, or it's it's just a different setup, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's obviously like a, a multinational team now, which is great to see because I mean they're the people who've been you know bringing us to these great places and. Uh, you know the the sons of the gas and daughters of the gas starbiters and all those. They're the ones who've been getting us to these finals, and it's nice that we can kind of come together again in kind of being maybe patriotic about Germany, uh, and it's a more inclusive form of that. I mean, yeah, definitely. I I mean, even like how my dad. I don't know how much he would have gone around saying I'm German. You know, I think he's always had a more of a European identity. Which is like kind of, I mean, obviously he's German and that's, you know, it's very hard to avoid. But I think definitely embracing more European identity. I think that's what people of his generation probably have because that was what was the norm of that time. But I think maybe now more recently he can kind of really just lean into the fact that he is a big old German. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So is it is it something that, um, I don't know, would you have identified as being a Rhinelander? I lived for a long time in the Rhineland, but I'm a. I, that's also quite interesting. I would identify as a Westphalian. Okay, okay. Uh, because I was born in Münster, but I didn't. Yeah. I, I grew grew up there, and then my father moved, and I lived in the east of Westphalia. Although I lived in Cologne for a long time, and I have a strong connection to the mm -hmm. place, I feel more connected now to really uh, that area of Westphalia, which is a little bit to the northwest, going over to Holland. And is there a Westphalish? Dialect. If you, when you speak, would someone be able to identify? I think so. Is it where you're from? Is yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I remember my philosophy professor once <laughs> when I studied in Cologne came to me and she said, "You must be from the Ruhrgebiet." I'm not exactly from the Ruhrgebiet, but he he associated my accent with mm -hmm. the Ruhrgebiet, so I must it must be a little bit similar to mm -hmm. that area. I don't think I've got a Ruhrgebiet accent, but I think there's certain uh, words. Back on the football, uh, mm -hmm. Killian. Then, so when Ireland are playing Germany, yeah, uh, would, do you have boat flags or how do you? Well, it's... Uh, Do you have yeah, one of those split, split jerseys? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I know, I need to get one. <laughs> we have, I mean, we, we, we support both teams very, very uh, passionately. I mean, every Ireland match we would watch and 
and the same with well not the same with Germany when Germany are in the competitions I think probably we would watch those ones but uh, I think Ireland playing Germany you're always going to go for Ireland I think uh, it's just more fun if Ireland win I mean I remember actually we went to see Ireland versus Germany that was during I think the Trapatoni era and we lost 7-1 and it was probably the worst day of my life so I mean <laughs> there was like there was no joy it was the same when Germany beat Brazil 7-1 or something like that and after the third or fourth goal you were just like okay can we just this is really uncomfortable for everyone can and all, just... all the shots of the Brazilians crying <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that and you go, yeah. yeah so it was with football it's a big part of our kind of our family and uh, and and how we kind of you know get together and I think I don't know yeah that's the the, the football teams we, we, we love when Germany win but we, I think we're ecstatic when Ireland win and it's different it's it's like Germany if they win the, you know if they get to the final it's great but Ireland if they you know if they you know get a good draw against Georgia we're we're excited so <laughs> it's different standards for different teams when it yeah. comes to sports uh, Helmut was did, did you have those German sports like handball or ice hockey or those kind of things in your background and Killian where did those things seem weird to you when you were growing up the I remember him explaining handball, but I mean, there was a different form of handball over here that DJ Kerry played, and I think I knew a bit more about that one. Yeah, so I played handball for... Explain handball to the the innocent listener. uh, Olympic handball. It's basically played uh, in a gym nowadays. It used to be played in the field as well, but nowadays it's played inside. Uh, It's two teams of seven players. Uh, There is a kind of a semicircle uh, around the goals that the... Uh, players are not allowed to enter. They play with a small leather ball, which is passed. It's quite a physical sport. I think of all the German sports that we have, it would be the most physical uh, ones because people defend around that semicircle uh, and the others are trying to break through it and score. And I think the goalie uh, must be very tough in handball because uh, they fire those hard leather balls at quite a speed. And if you're hit by it, it could be quite painful, I think. But that's a big sport. Yeah, yeah. My colleagues played and we've had German teachers uh, who were in our school who set up Olympic handball in okay. Ireland as well. So, so Killian, were, were you drafted onto the handball team at any no, stage? No, I wasn't. No. <laughs> I, played the, I, played the, um, I played the Irish sports and I played rugby as well, which I think is another thing that, like, it's funny. Like, do, do Germans get rugby? Um, well, this German does. I remember him telling me he saw his first match in Wales or something like that. And it was, I think... What was it like? In the it was a different sport, I think, in the eighties and, and early nineties. It was less professional and anything. stuff. I just thought people are lying on top of each other. And falling <laughs> over. I didn't understand. And then it, it was noticeable that always somebody was sitting behind me and always said with a kind of an English accent, although it was words. He said, "Oh, good kick," and I thought. Why was this a good kick now? I really, I couldn't, I couldn't make head or tails of it. Yeah, and now yeah. I do actually. I can't understand the referee decision. Still, I know one or two things like knock on or something like that, or high tackle. I get and forward pass. I would see, uh, <laughs> but a lot of the other things I don't understand. But I find it so uh, exciting now as a sport when I watch it. Be like the game, uh, like Ireland against uh, New Zealand. Yeah, the, the physicality of it interesting and then the, the way they have to work together as a team really to defend and you know not you, you know everybody has to stand their posts and defend and let not people break through I find this and you won't interesting. catch him missing a Sunday game as well he's obsessed with the, the guy as well so he's, uh, he's very yeah. much yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, say, um, I don't watch it so much I listen to a lot of yeah. sport actually yeah. is there a crossover between uh, Kiltus Kiltori and, and GAA I mean do you have to have a hurley in your hand <laughs> on the way in and the way out yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah there's all these requirements 
requirements or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but I suppose Irish sports can be very much based on your school. If your if your school is a has the tradition, that's what you mm. play. Yeah. Um, well, my school very much didn't. I went to New Park and. We, I mean, there was a rugby team, but it wasn't the same. I mean, it's in South Dublin where most of the other schools, if you're on the rugby team, you're maybe the coolest person at the school. It was very much not the case in my school. You were a slag to high hell and it was, you know, I think it was not that kind of school. Um, and we lost a good bit, but well, we did all right in our own way. <laughs> Let me jump to something else uh, entirely. And maybe, Killian, this is something for, for you. You know the way... Um, there's this thing where they say that Germans don't have a sense of humour and uh, I kind of always felt it was a little bit of kind of British propaganda the the kind of general anti-German thing just having a go at them And it, mm. but um, what is the German sense of humour? Or Yeah, no, I mean I guess that whole sort of myth obviously it's a myth everyone has a sense of humour I think every human has a sense of humour and uh, and that's that's a really important part of being a person and obviously Germans are very funny and you know my my German uncles uh, Werner and Manfred are two of the funniest people I know they're very very funny um, and it's a big part of, of you know interacting and I think maybe there are differences in, in how we approach a joke or something like that and maybe Irish and British humour has similarities in how we I mean we use sarcasm a lot or we often just say things that aren't true but say it in a serious way like you know the weather is terrible outside and you walk up to the person and go, isn't it a gorgeous day? We understand that. But if you said that to a German person, I think they would find that a little bit confusing. And that's where I think this myth of German people aren't funny. Uh, when obviously, you know, they're, 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 there's a lot of really great German yeah. comedy. It's just quite, different. I think mm-hmm. it's absurd. They quite like absurd humour. Uh, I remember reading that uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin uh, wrote that uh, he wished he could be funny like the Germans. Really? Because there was a whole clowning <laughs> tradition. That yeah, there was yeah, a, that kind true. of clowning thing. And even some of the kind of puppetry was mm-hmm. was really fun. I, I suppose yeah. that, that kind of... Um, <laughs> uh, I suppose pump, some of puppetry was, was quite uh, evil as well when you think of yeah. <laughs> what was really behind it. But but mm. I think Chaplin, because that, that was before the First World War even, was learning how to be funny like the Germans. And I, that's really <laughs> interesting yeah. and uh, uh, new to me. And I wouldn't have been aware of that. I think, obviously, I think in uh, in England uh, and in Ireland, it's very much word-based, isn't it? The word witty, to be fast with words and to uh, comment quickly and make humorous comments or something like that. I think they, they, maybe Irish and English people are, have more of a talent in that area to uh, play with words and, uh, and, and make humorous comments in, in mm. conversation. And, uh, yeah, there's also kind of more of a tradition to talk really isn't it and to have fast talk and, and make jokes about other people to banter and mm. Are there some Germans who are funnier than others are they again that notion are they are they well known oh those Bavarians are others or um, Well obviously the Westphalians are the funniest <laughs> I think that's no, I, I, quite I wouldn't, obvious uh, I, I wouldn't say so. I think people up north usually are a bit, a bit, a bit more quiet. The more chatty people you would probably find in the Rhineland and maybe also further south. So, uh, so thinking about it now, I, I know there, there was a tradition of kind of fox theater, you know, and then Karl Valentin was a huge comedian from Bavaria. And then there was a tradition of fox theater, like Willy Milovic was a huge local uh, person in Cologne who uh, uh, formed a a theatre company, a drama group, which put on humorous plays. And th- they were the ones that we would have watched, uh, watched as children and I would have loved it. And they were really, really funny. So they were plays with a kind of folklore or folk background. And the same and maybe in Hamburg, they had that as well. Yeah. 
And Killian, uh, some of your videos, there's a kind of element in them, the walls and the hedges, this mm. kind of uh, making a, a play on the quality of the, the hedge or something. Do you think some of that's German? It doesn't strike me as particularly Irish. I think it's kind of absurd. So maybe that is kind of uh, a German. And there's a theory, I suppose, behind it as well, which would be much more German because they, they kind of like their theories and their analysis. Um, and so... It's more like when I do those kind of videos, uh, it's when I'm in the countryside and there's not anything around. And the sort of idea or the theory is that, you know, I want to try and make a video with my surroundings, with the, the you know, the things that are here, the objects. And so, I mean, the idea was just to review the hedges because I hope I'm not selling the countryside short in that it's mainly just hedges, ditches and fields and um, and stone walls. And I was like, OK, well, I'm going to review these and see what I can do on the spot. And uh, I don't know if it comes from a German tradition. It, it, I mean, obviously, it's a very Irish landscape, I, but, you yeah. know, that idea, maybe it is. I love that notion that you had to study Brecht before you could do that, <laughs> yeah. before you could make anything. You had to know the theory of it. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's what is it? Uh, hyper theatre? What's this thing called? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. not that deep. It's, I mean, if anyone goes and watches the videos now, you'll see how silly they are. <laughs> Some of it is a little bit, uh, a little, reminds me a little bit of Beckett. Are you a Beckett fan at all? Well, I mean, I know, I know um, one or two of his plays, but um, well, I know one of his plays. And <laughs> but I, 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 mean, yeah, I think they're all the same. There's I know the one. big one. Yeah, most of them just follow that. Yeah, <laughs> there, I guess it is also maybe similar in that stream of just, I, I mean, a very stark uh, background of nothingness, and then me talking about a wall for a minute, uh, and people seem to love it. Though, I mean, I don't, I'm not. Uh, you know, controlling these things, uh, you know, people seem to like it. I don't know why, but it's really nice when you do something online that doesn't really make sense and probably only would exist on the internet um, because it's just me on my phone. Maybe it's that observation that apart from the spectacularly dramatic Irish scenery, most of it is just uh, ditches and hedges, really. (laughs) 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 And and, and you have to pass through um, miles and miles of that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, like the, the... like the most recent one I did was a ditch and like an example would be I'd be like I'd be like I mean look at this ditch it's just full of water and and people are like I mean yeah like the people in the comments are like I can't believe they filled their ditch with water what were they thinking and it's just a silly joke really that people buy in on I don't know why I was watching it and I was kind of thinking is this a kind of German disapproval of of the lack of neatness or something you know that uh, yeah Tell, tell me again, just on, on the German humour, if people wanted to see something that was humorous, is there? Can, could you recommend a film or are there books that have been translated that would put across something of... of um... uh, me? Yeah, well, I wouldn't know too much about uh, kind of German comedians. My uncle Werner showed me this really crazy sketch comedian, but I can't, I can't remember his name at all. I was wondering if maybe you knew him, someone Werner really, really likes. Uh, my uncle... My great uncle Fritz was uh, kind of a, c- a comedian. <laughs> he was, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's not got anything to display, but I think that's that's something where maybe we get it from. But I don't. I mean, I can't think of anything. Any other film, right even recent films. I studied uh, film and I got very into German cinema, but they were all very deep, serious, uh, theory-laden, yeah. was, was, analytical yeah. films. Was, was BB and Tina, BB and Tina, was that on your... No, no. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, he is, would be better to ask about what's funny in Germany. Uh, yeah, there, there's some, but I couldn't really uh, identify with that. Es wieder da or something like that was this film. Oh, yeah, yeah. It. And I... 
I don't know. It didn't do that much for me, I have mm-hmm. to say. And you have to, you have to think also. I've, I've lived abroad now for a good while, so yeah, I'm not yeah. fully in touch uh, uh, with that. I know there are comics as well, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be so familiar uh, with them. I think for my 50th birthday, which is a good while ago, I got a CD with a German comedian, a stand-up who was called Nur, and I listened to it for a while. And some of it I thought was okay, but I haven't listened to it much now uh, uh, since. Uh, when I was young, there was the famous one, I think, uh, uh, Loriot, and we, we liked to watch uh, him, and we, th- we thought that uh, there were very funny things. He also did beautiful drawings of people with big noses or something like that, and they had really, really humorous and funny dialogues, and I, I can still watch them and laugh about them, so that would be been something that I was familiar with and that I really found very funny. Yeah. When it comes to recommending uh, German things to Irish people at home. Killian, did you grow up with lots of German food and was there um Helmut did, did you kind of miss German beers or German wine when you came here? What's what's that about about that kind of side of it? Yeah, it was very much uh, German food growing up because my parents obviously German and then they would have been raised on German food because my my mum's mum was German, so she would have maybe if she didn't have a lot of German being spoken in the house, she would have been raised eating German food. And uh, and she was wonderful. Uh, she made wonderful food. And so we were raised on that, all damp noodles and, um, you know. Damp wonder- noodles? Yeah, damp noodles, which are like basically kind of a sort of sweet caramelized dough ball, uh, which I mean, yeast, I, yeast based, yeast yeah. based sort of dough ball, which is delicious. Nice. Um, you'd have like, you know, spätzle. There would be, I mean, I don't know, like I wouldn't know. What, spätzle is the kind of little bit of noodle thing. Yeah, they're the, kind of like small noodle dumplings. Yeah. Uh, From Swabia, that's the yeah, Swabian yeah. Yeah, mm. dish. Yeah. And, lo- and lots of heavy sauces, lots of um, yeah. good sauces yeah. for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. Well, and obviously uh, it is Christmas time and you mentioned it, but the Christmas traditions were very strong and, the family and German traditions and Irish traditions existed alongside each other. Uh, if you know this, mum, Johanna, made beautiful Stollen, mm. homemade Stollen every year. And again, she just made a huge selection of German Christmas Just uh, describe biscuits. the Stollen for us, for the listener yeah, who yeah. won't get it's that. A, Stollen is, I mean, <laughs> I think it's a, a very butter-heavy kind of bread, uh, sweet bread that they make in Germany. But the yeah, And then these Weihnachtskuchen are... Uh, these these small biscuits. Actually, if people were watching the Great British Bake Off, they tried to get people to make these spe- uh, special biscuits recently. But they they have like maybe five or six different types of biscuits, and they're all made. And there's a big pile of them, and yeah. they're really people special. are very proud of them and their yeah. family traditions. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and maybe vanilla kipfer yeah. uh, uh, would be one of them, and then uh, Cocos Macron and and uh, and all kinds of different ones with spices and Linzer torte in particular. Yeah. That's one from again from the southwest region. Yeah, you're uh, so almost the, salivating yeah. here. You look like you're really keen <laughs> yeah, on those Linzer yeah. <laughs> torte. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. They were always the one that people. Yeah. Th- that was a tradition, and that was uh, kept. And, yeah, and and we celebrated Heiligabend also with very often when Johanna and Nie were there. We got together in the house and around the piano and Heiligabend. We would be singing German Christmas uh, carols, uh, yeah. some English uh, and Irish as well. And we would have a little meal on Heiligabend and then get together and also do an, Ir- an Irish Christmas with the traditional turkey and things like that. So it was kind of the two traditions being mm. kept. And so for a final word, maybe um, favorite German beer or wine? Well, I mean, uh, you know, Germany is famous for its local beers. And it's, you know, when you go to Germany, that's that's the great thing. You get the local one. So if you're in Germany, just get the one that's closest to you and from that area. Uh, but 
But can I just say <laughs> briefly, okay? He uh, uh, went to Germany with the Deutsche Kriegsgräberfürsorge, which is the War Graves Commission in Germany. And they uh, uh, do something in the summer where young people come and work in Germany and work in the uh, war graves uh, and uh, clean them. And they learn something about the background and the history. Uh, and it's for reconciliation. And it's run also by the German army. And Killian went there as a 16-year-old. And there was always beer in the fridge. I don't know where he's getting this from. No, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> and you, all you had to do was put 50 cents or something in they there. They have vending machines yeah, for beer in Germany. Yeah, yeah. 16, yeah. what was it But I think do? there's still an open bill there, Killian. It's true. Now, yeah. which one were you drinking? Boathouse, Towns and Seffler is a nice yeah. beer. I would say the North German ones. Flensburger and Jever are really good. Jever and Rothaus Tannenzeffler, yeah. I think it's called. Yeah. And certainly, if anyone would like to try any of these beers, we'd mm. highly recommend going on the German War Graves Restoration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay, lads, it was really lovely to, to have you um, here. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks so and, much for having um, us. Thanks very much for having us. We appreciate it. Full of Weihnachten. Full of I don't think yeah. we're there yet, so. so. Not quite, but still. Also, vielen Dank. Vielen Dank. Vielen Dank, Hiron. Vielen Dank,